It's Christmas. It's, it's probably good to be reminded of that right now. Right in the middle of just everything that's going on. And, uh, and I, as Levi mentioned, I want to start a new series on the incarnation. Uh, I, I don't know what your, and I'll get to that word in a few mi- minutes, but uh, I don't know what your earliest Christmas memories might be. I, I always think it's, it's good for most people. Not everyone's had good early Christmas memories, but for most people, it generally revolves around Christmas trees and presents. I know, I know for me it did, and for, for a good Catholic family, it was midnight mass. Now, I don't know too many people who do this, but we did. It was midnight mass, okay, and then you got home and we used to open our presents. And so, I mean, the thrill, the thrill of the presents, as a little kid, the thrill of staying up to like 1 a.m., Opening a prayer, like that was just, you were never awake in the middle of the night. And uh, as a parent, I'm like, I, I think I know what mum and dad are on about. It's like, you keep them up that late, they're not going to wake you up at like five. What, no, that's, that's probably what it was about. Mom, I was number six, I was the end, end of the line at number six. And so mum and dad had learned pretty well by then how to keep the kids in bed just a little bit longer, I'd reckon. But that whole thought, you know, the Christmas tree and the presents, and that's what Christmas was all about. And it's like, yeah, I know the reason for the season is Jesus. I know that. The presents are pretty good, aren't they? (laughs) Like, come on, admit it. You can admit it. It's like, oh, no, I get no joy out of gift giving. (laughs) I get no joy out of getting that new thing that I really wanted. Of course you do. And and, and the the fact is, you know, we should be celebrating at Christmas. Christmas is a massive celebration. It's funny, I've heard Christians, and in the past, you know, it's been like, well, it was just a pagan festival. We shouldn't be doing No, 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 that's what the church does. That's what Jesus does. He renews all things. So what we do is redeem it. I don't really give a rip. Actually, I hope it was a pagan festival because no one's talking about the pagan festival. <laughs> We're talking about Jesus. And most of society is. Most of society is. And so I love, I love Christmas. Yes, I love the gift giving. But, you know, I think sometimes we really miss the heart of the Christmas story and what it means to us at times. And, and I don't just mean Jesus, but I actually mean specific things about Jesus and what God was up to that very first Christmas. And so that's what this series is going to sort of be a little bit about. I mean, the Christmas story in the Bible... It is a great storyline. You've got to admit. It's got animals. It's got shepherds. Doesn't have wise men, by the way. They came later, a couple of years later. But uh, it had shepherds. It had angels. I mean, what a storyline. It is absolutely brilliant. But often because of that, we actually miss the main event. Looking at all the trimmings, just like a child that plays with the box the gift came in. Come parents, you ever know that? It's like, oh, we bought this thing, they are going to love it. And it's like, no, no, they'd just rather play cubby houses in the box that the new bike came in. That's generally where kids are at. And sometimes we can be a little bit the same when it comes to Christmas. We get distracted from what the main thing really, really is. By far the main event is the incarnation. God with us, as Levi said, Emmanuel, God with us. God coming in the flesh is actually the main event and has massive implications 
when you understand this. Actually, to, to neglect to understand what the, in, the incarnation basically means will probably hinder you from ever actually living the way God wants you to live. Ever being the person God wants you to be. If you just don't understand the implications of the incarnation. And I will explain incarnation in a few moments. You know, I think sometimes we've actually neglected the incarnation. We're so focused on the cross. When it comes to Jesus, it's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. It's all about the cross. And of course, forgiveness, that that redemptive act is massive. But the incarnation, God in flesh actually changes everything about how we should view the world and so I was going to call this series I had like a a a formal title was uh, implications of the incarnation I liked it because it sort of rhymed you know implications and I thought nah I think we just let's just talk about what's going on with Christmas what is going on with Christmas why is it such a big deal or why should it be such a big deal often I've seen in the church it's been like uh, and sometimes it's that sort of religious attitude of ah oh, but what about it's we don't know the real date and stuff like that honestly trivial details <laughs> trivial details often we've just downplayed it it's like no Easter's the main event no no <laughs> the incarnation you couldn't have had Easter without Christmas without the incarnation and so implications of the incarnation or what's going on with Christmas Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 and Isaiah the prophet says for unto us now this is 600 years before Christ's birth for unto us a child is born and to us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders he will be called wonderful counselor mighty God everlasting father Prince of Peace. Just uh, often we can overlook this. I just want to join a couple of those phrases together. A child is born who is God. That's what it's saying. Now you've got to understand, Isaiah is a good Jewish boy speaking to devout Jewish people, prophesying. And, And they have different interpretations of how they sort of work this verse out but to me it's like pretty plain a child will be born and he's going to be the mighty God he's not just going to be the counselor or this that or the other he's not just going to be a great ruler he's actually God too and of course for the Jewish folk they are fiercely monotheistic their prayer their daily prayer the Shema hear O Israel the Lord thy God is one that's how it began and now there's another one a child will be born who is God as well as the other things and so this is like an amazing passage of scripture if I look at the incarnation let's look at some definitions real quick because I've used that word a lot the ancient definition was the act of being made flesh a more modern spin on it is a person or thing that is the embodiment to embody something to literally make flesh. So incarnation, either of, those, uh, either of those definitions work. And if ever there was anything the believer should want to know, focus on, it's the incarnation. The fact that God became someone just like you. And yet at the same time, 
someone just so much not like us. John chapter 1, the Apostle John, just bringing this now into the New Testament, he talks about the incarnation this way. And he, he has a bit of a play on words here. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. And what John's doing here, it's really interesting, but it's sort of a play and an interaction. He's taking a leaf out of Genesis chapter 1, the first three verses. Genesis chapter 1, we should all know that in our Bible, the first three verses, we should be able to quote some sort of form of, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness covered the, 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 the deep, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. First three verses of, Gen- of the Bible. First three verses of the Bible. And here John is picking it up and he's actually connecting the word that's spoken at creation with Jesus Christ himself. Wow. The word that God spoke that made everything cr- come into being was actually Christ. And he spoke that word. And other uh, inferences, he connects life to that word. Of course, if everything that we know, including every living being, came from that word, then everything owes its source to Jesus Christ. Uh, Everything owes its source, more technically, to Christ at this point. Everything owes its source. Everything owes its being. In him was life. And then John goes on to say, and this life was the light of men. So literally, Jesus is animating people and not just Christian people. Everyone owes their existence to him. The scripture says that everything that exists is only held in place by the word of his power. Everything. And this is where Bible writers and New Testament, this is why James can say things like, how on earth can you say you love and worship God and curse someone made in his image? Don't you realize the same life, the same light that was in Christ creating the world, not only dwells in you, but dwells in someone else that you might disagree with too. How can these things be? The implications of the incarnation are absolutely massive. And so Jesus himself, he will echo some of these thoughts. I am the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, the light. You go through a lot of Jesus' statements, he echoes exactly the same thing, that he is the source of it all. And now the source of it all has taken on flesh So we could actually finally see who God really is. It can be confusing the Bible. When you jump around in scripture and especially you jump around the Old Testament, you jump all over the place and you see pictures of God, you see images that are presented of God that just don't line up with Jesus Christ. True? True? Well, that's why Jesus came. We should stop trying to reconcile them and just realize, ah, 
Finally, we've seen what God really looks like. This is why Jesus could say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You don't need to keep asking those questions. What are we doing with that other stuff? Am I saying it's wrong? Uh, Maybe I'm saying it's incomplete. Until we have the final word. And now the word at creation has been revealed. And John says, literally, walks among us. Verse 14. The word became flesh, incarnation, and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. So what happened to change the world? Why is Christmas like just absolutely world changing? Well, John just gives these quick statements. The word became flesh. We've been talking about the incarnation. God revealed in man. In other words, if, you want, if anyone wants to know what God is like, you just need to point to Jesus. He's a mighty warrior. The Lord our banner. Yeah, yeah, it was ancient peoples and ancient battles. But if you really, really want to see him, look no further, folks. That's what Jesus was saying. Just show us the Father, they said to him. The disciples, remember? Just show us the Father and it'll be enough. There was a longing, even in these these Jewish people's hearts, his original disciples who had tracked the whole journey of God walking with Abraham and all of their forebears and their nation and their kings, and they're still asking the question. They knew we still haven't seen who he really is. We still don't know what God is like. And Jesus says, you've been with me this long and you don't know. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You've got people, friends that are arguing with you over difficult things in the Bible. Just take them to Jesus. And you can say, admit, I'm out of my depth with the other stuff. But I do know this, that God is exactly like Jesus. He was always exactly like Jesus. If you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. Now, that's just basic Christianity. And sometimes we nearly choke on it because we don't know what to do with everything we've ever been taught with other images of God. That's the importance of the incarnation. That's the implication of the incarnation. Go no further. Stop your search. You have found life and you have found light. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He was the beginning of it all. He was the word in Genesis chapter 1. He's the word in John chapter 1. He's the word in your heart that can change everything in an instant. And some of us have experienced that. Just opening our hearts to Jesus And once again, the word becomes flesh. What do we say? We say to our kids, Jesus wants to live in your... And then life begins to flow on another whole level, doesn't it? And light, that's what's meant to happen. And it's not that we become God, but it's interesting how Jesus did share that glory with us when he said, I'm the light of the world in one spot. You know what he says in another spot? You are the light of the world. I'm the light of the world and so are you. If you open yourself to this word, what created everything that we see will regenerate you, make you brand new and you become a beacon of hope for humanity. Well, at least that's the plan. 
It's gone very quiet. You doing all right? It's good to talk about the incarnation. We don't talk about this enough, so I'll talk about it for the next couple of weeks if that's okay. So he dwelt amongst us. He lived among us. This is, this is how he changed the world. I love what John says in 1 John in his letter. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. And there would not be a theologian worth their salt who would think that he's talking about the Bible, word of life. He's talking about Jesus, that which we have seen. He dwelt amongst us. We could reach out and touch him. Someone did. And guess what happened? She was healed. And that's what John is saying. Man, not only has God decided to show up, but he was not distant. He allowed himself to be seen. He revealed himself. He even allowed himself to be touched. How many times? Thomas, don't be doubting. Reach here and touch. Put your finger in the nail prints. Put your hand in my side. Because I'm available for you to fully know who God is. Just how good he is. And then we saw his glory. As I said, a clear image of God, not distorted scarred humanity because we're all made in the image of God but you've got to admit we've all got a few battle scars even the best among us are a pretty pale reflection aren't we of who he is but all of a sudden now we've actually seen him so I want to look at what how Paul describes this event yeah okay we've got just a few more minutes a few more minutes I want to talk about the kenosis, it's another one of those words, but we're going to explain it a little bit. And a great passage of scripture. This is, this is how Paul describes the incarnation. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8. And I just want to draw attention, and, and I don't want to harp on it too much. I just think we need some Bible voices. There are so many voices out there telling us what to think and, uh, and calling who's in and who's out and every, all of that. How about we listen to scripture? And this is really interesting. It's, it's amazing how scripture comes alive in particular context. And as I read this again last night, I've chopped the first few verses off just to save a bit of time. But I could have read the whole passage because the, the uh, four verses in front of the one I'm about to read are all about human relationships. All about you and me and how we relate. And then Paul gets to this incredibly powerful and famous passage of scripture. He starts with, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Some versions say the same attitude or just simply let this mind be in you also. Talking about Christ Jesus, who being in very nature, I'm sorry team, I don't have these scriptures, this was a a late entry. Who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. I'm going to look at that phrase because that is a Greek word, kenosis, which simply means to self-empty, to pour yourself out. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature 
of a servant being made in human likeness, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And Paul just paints this incredible picture of what it meant, what the incarnation meant, what it took for God to become flesh. The Son of God, co-equal with God, the Word at the beginning of creation. It's interesting, the Spirit's there too. First three verses, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're all there. Co-equal with God. Eternal. We, we only saw him in Jesus, but he was always there. Do you understand what I mean? He predated, Christ predated Jesus, if I could put it that way. But there's no dates in eternity anyway, so it's sort of a misterm. But he had everything totally all together, creator of the universe, and decided, I will go. And I'll empty myself of everything that it is to be independent of creation and will become part of creation, submit myself to its concerns, its pains, its trials and walk among people. This is why John says, and dwelt amongst us. I will walk among my creation. Wow. Now, often this passage is called the, you know, the um, uh, humility of Christ. And that's certainly what it, respect, what it reflects. Though being equal with God did not consider to use his current status, his power, his whatever, to take opportunity to grasp for more, to what, but actually opened his hands and released everything that he had for the sake of others. This is the implication of the incarnation. Why? Because interestingly, the context of this passage is our relationships. And Paul's not just giving this as some cold, remote, theological concept. He's actually saying to us, you need to embrace the same mind, the same thinking, the same attitude. In other words, you need to be in the world as he was in the world. So what does that mean for us? Well, it means a few things like humility over arrogance and pride. You know, referring to the current debate, debacle, whatever, I have not got a problem with anyone who's got an opinion at either end of the scale of these things because everyone's arrived at their conclusions the way that they've arrived at their conclusions. I, I think what frustrates me the most is that people at either end of that argument can think that they actually have the facts and not just step back and go I think the waters have just been so irreparably muddied I think time is the only thing that's really going to reveal what's really going on here and somehow you've got to make a decision in the middle of all that and whatever decision you've made God bless you
You know, God bless you. Just don't foist your opinion on others. It's pretty simple. It really is. It's called humility. But why is it so hard for us to do? As I said, we're just, we might be made in the image of God, but we're a bit of a faded, jaded reflection. But when you let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, the life and the light begins to come back. You begin to see things clearly, not push down little channels of manipulation, which our society is so good to do. On every scale, for every end of the argument, there's push and shove, argy-bargy, name-calling, all of that stuff. But when you let Christ reign in your heart, you've got the opportunity to step back and go, you know what, I will not let this polarise me. I will have the same attitude that Christ had. At the end of the day, even if I'm 1,000% sure that I'm right, I could still practice a little bit of humility with it. Because you know what? We're going to know really soon, aren't we? Do you realise that? We're going to know really soon what's going on. Right, once those borders spring open and people start travelling back in, we're really going to know whether we've been told a big lie or not really, really quickly. And at that point, I wonder whether there will be humility if we've been wrong. Either end of the scale. Well, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I was just so strident about you getting vaccinated. I'm sorry I was so strident about staying unvaccinated. I don't know. We don't know. But one thing we do know, it's going to become clear sooner rather than later now. And humility might be a good way to live in the meantime, in the gap, living in the gap. This is what else the, uh, the incarnation means to us is others' concern over self-concern. Others' concern over self-concern. Jesus did it for us. Laid down everything he already had. Laid down in humility. And it's a massive contrast to the individual entitlement mindset of our society. And I'm not talking now about anything to do with the current situation. This is just in general. This is mine and this is my right and I want that and I'm entitled to this and there's grab, 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 grab and it's like, man, Jesus, you couldn't see anything more opposite than that. In our consumeristic, driven society, to have more and to do more and experience more and it's all about more, it's me, me, me and Jesus is like, I have it all. Yet, for your sake, I'll give it all away. And Paul says, hey, church, would you start thinking like that? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> would you have that same mindset that Jesus had? It also means love over faultlessness. You know, like Jesus was faultless and he lived in a perfect environment. No tears, no sweat, no heat, no take, camel dung between the toes. He lived in a pristine environment. He had, we could just put it this, he had it all and he had it all together. And yet there was something that moved him beyond perfection and faultlessness and the desire to have that. Because isn't that really ultimately what we're all striving for? 
Everyone just wants the perfect setup. They want the perfect setup when they watch TV, the perfect setup in the kitchen, the perfect setup for their car, the perfect. We just want everything to be right. Jesus had everything absolutely right and gave it all away. Why? Because love motivated him beyond himself. And Paul says, Come on, come on, people of God, can you be motivated beyond self? Can you be more concerned? about others than yourself just as the scripture says and uh, I wish now I'd read that other passage in Romans would you like to hear it the first four verses really quickly to the kenosis verse the self-emptying verse here it is this is the context therefore if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion. So Paul's like, if you've gotten anything out of this, knowing Jesus, if it has changed your life in any way, if you've got, come on, has anyone got something out of knowing Jesus? Well, Paul's saying, hey, if it's changed things in any way, if you've received anything from God, then make my joy complete by being like-minded Greek words actually isopsyche, shared mind having the same love being one in spirit of one mind do nothing out of selfish ambition in other words elevating yourself above another or vain conceit an inflated sense of self-importance rather in humility value others above yourselves Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Well, that's a bit different for our society, isn't it? At the moment. You know, the division in our society at the moment over all these issues shouldn't surprise us. It just shouldn't surprise us. It's the world. It's the spirit of the world. The spirit of the world's always fighting to prove itself right, to get the biggest share, and all of that's what the spirit of the world does. What should be shocking to us is that it's in the church. Yeah. Yeah. That, that somehow we're... I mean, what has Jesus become? Has he become just like this symbol? I mean, we don't even have a cross or a crucifix or anything like that, but has he just become symbolic of, I'm in the right because I believe the right stuff? I think we've, we've really majored for too long on believing the right stuff and, and not heavy enough on doing the right stuff. Thinking the right stuff. Again, it's not my place, it's not the church's place to tell you what to decide about current issues, but I will tell you how to think. That is what the Bible tells us to do. How we think. Well, the first big filter is humility. The next big filter is selflessness. The next big filter is, is this good for the person next to me or the person I'm talking to or interacting with right now? Be motivated by concern for others rather than yourself. So I want to ask us just a few questions as we finish. We could just ask ourselves the question, where do we incarnate Jesus? You know, just think about our week. Think about our, our run sheet, the run sheet of our life. Where do I incarnate Jesus? Where, where, do, where am I the light of the world? And I'm shining that light. 
What am I modelling? You know, with computer modelling and stuff that they do now, they can sort of try and project where things are going to go, whether that's with a building or with whatever it is, statistics. They can model this stuff. And it sort of points where things are going. You've all seen it in the movies, haven't you? Surely, computer modelling. Well, well, I wonder what we're modelling and whether it points to Jesus. So they can point to statistics and say it's all headed that way and they can predict reasonably well where it's going to end up in exactly the same way. Let this mind be in you. Would you model Jesus Christ? Would you live Jesus Christ to a hurt and broken world? And would you model it to the point where people just know where this is headed? Your life is pointed right there. You are just like your Saviour. And isn't that how Jesus said? Be just like your Father in heaven. So it's amazing because the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. Jesus points us to the Father. And it's just like, that's, it's all meant to be pointing that way. Where is my life, my trajectory? Just pointing, that's like the dab, isn't it? Pointing to Jesus. Sorry, I had to throw that in had to lighten the moment a good question to ask ourselves is maybe where where am I living among where am I dwelling among where does my life overflow and embrace people that might not yet be walking in the light do I provide light for others or do I, do I, this, this is my biggest fear for the church in this season is that we don't provide light, we just provide opinions. Let's provide light. Whichever end of the scale we're on, let's provide light. That's our role. You know, Paul's talking about being of the same mind through this whole big crisis period. period the most important thing we can do is keep the unity of faith and stay on mission. That's all this is about. Unity of faith, stay on mission. This is about a world that needs Jesus. And we can't afford to, even our preferences, our options or our fears, we cannot let that divide us. Come on, if any comfort of love, if any compensation, if you've received anything from Jesus, stick together. Show it display it with your brothers and sisters let's weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing is how it's put in another place okay I've gone over time by a long time so could I pray for us today yeah. thank you father thank you father help us to shine like lights Help us, Lord, to to not just tell people about Jesus, but that our whole trajectory and arc of life would point people to him. Help us walk in this present moment in wisdom and allow ourselves to be comforted by the Holy Spirit. You haven't given us a spirit of fear but of love, power, and a sound mind. Help us to embrace that, Lord, and live it. 
in Jesus' name. And just while our heads are bowed, come on, just stay in this moment. And I said, friend, that if you, you let Jesus Christ into your life, life begins to flow, light begins to flow, everything begins to change from the inside out. And maybe you've never done that. I just want to give you this opportunity. Just pause for a moment and just right where you're seated, um, at home, wherever you're watching us, you can just open your heart to Jesus right where you sit. Let God incarnate himself in you. Let him come into your heart. And you can simply do it by saying, Jesus, I, I need you. I want you in my life. I recognize my need for you. Amen. And Levi's going to let you know what you could do next. Why don't we thank Pastor Chris?